Hey, sis. Welcome to the Mom Keys to Mental Peace podcast. Now, real quick before we get into the show, did you know that this podcast is a spinoff from a book that I wrote? Yes. Mom Keys to Mental Peace, 12 Tips to Become a Healthy Mom and Raise Healthy Children. In this book, I share my story about how I identified toxic patterns of thinking about life and motherhood. I share how God helped me to transform by the renewal of my mind. I didn't want to keep this revelation to myself, so I packaged it in a book to share how you can transform your mindset and lifestyle too. This book is for anyone who desires to break unhealthy generational patterns in their family, want to build healthier and stronger relationships with their children, or for anyone who wants to overcome the battle of negative thoughts in their mind. After reading this book, you will learn how to gain confidence in who you are as a mother, handle unhealthy thinking patterns when they appear in your mind, and position yourself to achieve mom-life balance. This book is available wherever books are sold, and the link will be in the show notes. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Mom Keys to Mental Peace podcast. I'm your host and sister in Christ, Tari Kaya Allen Butler. This is a podcast for millennial moms who struggle with limiting beliefs and want to learn how to make over their mindsets and level up their lifestyle in faith and family. Tap in each week for the Mom Keys to Mental Peace podcast where you will learn major keys to stop coming up short on your goals and start leveling up for the type of lifestyle you desire God's way. Ready to level up? Let's do it. All right. So welcome back to another podcast episode. Your girl has been trying to figure out this new schedule. Uh, My daughter just started dance and my son is doing school basketball. Um, along with my husband starting a new job. So there's just been some changes in our week in regards to when I record the podcast and when I get it out. So thank you all for bearing with me. Um, I really wanted to (laughs) work on this new episode for our part two of our Bible study. And it's just like things kept coming up, pushing it back. So here I am today uh, recording and it will be posted on the platform for everyone to listen to. So thank you for bearing with me. Welcome to our new listeners. I'm so happy to have you all here. Welcome, sis, and welcome to our OGs and our returning listeners. Happy to have you here as well. Um, Again, this is part two of a Bible study that I'm doing on the book of Job. And um, as I shared in the first episode, a lot of what I'm sharing is from um, the Life Application Study Bible, and that link will be in the show notes. And this is just a great Bible um, for anyone who has a hard time understanding scripture, or if you just want to go deeper in your Bible study. Um, The Life Application Bible Study, Bible, excuse me, 
Um, it gives in-depth information about each book of the Bible um, with background context, footnotes for deeper understanding of scripture, timelines, blueprint outlines for each book, cross-reference scriptures, all the things. Um, so if you're wanting to go deeper into your Bible study, I highly suggest the Life Application Bible. All right. Now, for today's episode, the title of today's episode is How to Support Someone Who is Suffering. So last week, we learned how to suffer well ourselves. Now we're going to talk about how to support someone who is suffering. And y'all, the lessons that I learned about how to approach this in the book of Job is information that I didn't even know I needed. <laughs> um, this episode is for all of my problem solvers for all of my strong friends, for all of my friends who people come to you for advice and look to you for wisdom, or you feel like you have the answer to everybody's problem, this episode is for you, okay? Because this, um, the lessons I learned in this book really checked me um, on my strong friend ways that I feel like I have to show up for people, okay? So the book of Job helped me to realize that sometimes I overstep when it comes to helping people who are going through hard times, right? I'm naturally a solution-based person by nature. So my initial instinct is to solve the problem, right? Um, and I've learned from reading this that sometimes trying to fix the problem can be dismissive to the person's feelings, right? Um, to where you're just trying to solve the problem and you're just lacking compassion or lacking awareness that, hey, this person's feelings are hurt right now. This person is sad right now. They're going through. And yes, you may have a solution or yes, I may have a solution at this time, but is that really what they want to hear in this moment, right? Um, I learned that it's not always my job to fix things for other people. That is God's job. <laughs> um, and learning this and gaining this revelation, I feel like it lifts a weight off of my shoulder, feeling like I have to solve everybody's problems because, baby, that can be stressful and it can be draining to you. Um, so this book gave me a lot of insight on how to be more compassionate and how to decide when to offer help versus when I just simply need to be there for them, okay? So I'm going to give a quick summary um, about the takeaways I got from this in the book of Job. So the book of Job is a total of 42 chapters, right? But chapters 3 through 31 in the book of Job is him going back and forth with his three friends, Eliphaz, Biliad, and Zophar. And y'all, please forgive me for the pronunciation of these names. <laughs> y'all get the point, okay? But um, for chapters three through 31 in this book is Job going back and forth with these three friends about why he is suffering and what he needs to do to fix it. So there are three rounds of discussions from each friend and Job responds to each friend um, from chapters three to 31, which is a huge chunk <laughs> of the book of Job, which I did not know. So for me, I knew as far as the book of Job, you know, he suffered, he lost his family, he became sick, things like that. But I did not realize that a bulk of this book is 
him going back and forth with his friends and his friends trying to tell him or give advice about what he needs to do to get right with God or to heal and all of these things. So that was something new for me in studying this chapter or studying this book. So Job's friends wrongly assumed that suffering always comes as a result of sin. With this in mind, they tried to persuade Job to repent of his sins, but the three friends were wrong. So if you go back to the first episode on how to suffer well, I gave a whole summary of the book of Job completely, where his friends were pretty much telling him like, you going through all of this because you've done something wrong. You must have done something wrong or made God mad in some way or done some type of sin and you need to repent. And Job is like, but I didn't. (laughs) I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't sin against God so bad to where this level of suffering is coming to me. And we learned in the beginning of Job that God had discussion with the devil. The devil personally asked, can I do these things to Job? And God said, yes. So here we see that his friends were not right by saying, hey, you sinned and you need to repent in order for all this to go away. And that Job was, you know, arguing his case back and forth with them like, but I didn't sin. (laughs) Right. So here we learn that suffering is not always a direct result of a person's sin. When we experience severe suffering, it may not be our fault. So we don't have to add to our pain by feeling guilty that some hidden sin is causing our trouble. And I shared this in the um, part one of this episode as well, that this was something that I struggled with where I felt like I couldn't pray to God or ask God for anything or the bad things that were happening to me is what I deserve um, because of my shame and guilt about premarital sex, right? Um, So this is just a reminder of what Job was dealing with at this time, okay? Job's children were killed, his possessions and wealth were taken, his wife turned her back on him, and his health was attacked, all in a matter of days, okay? So Job was overwhelmed by suffering. I can't even imagine just from those things that I listed, in a matter of days, think about a week, seven days in a week, that your, all your, your children die or your children are killed that you lose your wealth, that your spouse turns their back on you and you're suffering from your health. Like, I would have some questions too. Like, why is this happening to me? What in the world did I do to deserve this, right? I feel like that's a legitimate (laughs) response to something that drastic happening. So Job was overwhelmed by suffering, but he was not comforted, but condemned by his friends. Each of their views represents a well-known way of understanding suffering to the level that they can understand, all right? And if you've listened to the first episode, we talked about that our level of understanding is not God's level of understanding. His ways and thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts, okay? So God proves that each explanation given by Job's friends is less than the whole answer, right? A lot of what they were saying was partially true. Like, yes, some people do suffer as a result of sin, or yes, there is punishment or consequences as a result of sin. But for this particular case with Job, this was not that. (laughs) 
that was not the case for him. So God proved that, you know, that their explanations were half true, right? So we must be careful what we assume to be true in the lives of others. We cannot always assume that suffering is their own fault or a result of sin. And I have done this <laughs> um, myself. I've seen people go through certain things. I know, especially certain family members that I have. And, you know, looking at the result of their life or the outcome of their life or their current status, I found myself in that judgment seat. Like they're there, they're in this position because they sinned or they're in this position because they did something wrong. But after reading the book of Job, that's not always the case because there's been times where I felt like, oh, they shouldn't have this or this shouldn't come through for them. And it did, <laughs> right? God still looked out for them in that area or took care of them in that area. Because at the end of the day, no matter what we think about somebody's actions or what they're doing from our limited view or our judgmental seat, at the end of the day, we're all God's children. Even people we don't like <laughs> are all God's children. And he's going to take care of his kids, period. Okay. So let's get into three ways that you can support someone um, who is suffering. The first thing that you can understand is that sometimes there is nothing to say, and that is okay. All right. Um, in the book of Job, chapter two, verse 11, it says, when they first heard of the news, talking about Job's three friends, they came to Job's side and sat with him in silence for seven days. All right. So my Bible um, in the little footnote gave um, some background history on why they did this. So according to Jewish tradition, people who come to comfort someone in mourning should not speak until the mourner speaks. Often the best response to another person's suffering is to sit quietly with them. Job's friends realized that his pain was too deep to be healed with their mere words. So they said nothing. Now, this was a huge revelation for me because I am that friend or I am that person that feels like I always have to have the right thing to say or the most encouraging thing to say to lift somebody out from their pain or their sorrow. But let's, you know, go back to what Job was dealing with. His children were killed. His health was attacked. His wealth and all his possessions were taken. Is there really anything that somebody can say <laughs> to take away the pain or heal somebody's pain that is dealing with all of this? I don't think there is a right thing to say, but here it shows like it's okay to not have anything to say sometimes. Sometimes it's best to just be silent. So based off the harshness of their response throughout the book of Job, um, based off the harshness of their responses to Job later in the text, they should have just stayed silent, right? So initially they did the right thing. They came, they sat with him, they mourned with him. They didn't really say anything, but it seems like after a while, they started spilling off all of their assumptions or the right thing to say or the right thing to solve the problem at the time when it just really made things worse for Job, right? So oftentimes we feel like we must say something spiritual or insightful to a hurting friend, but perhaps what that person needs most is just our presence, showing that we care. Quotes or sayings say much less 
than empathetic silence and loving companionship. Um, I saw a meme that touched on this recently, and I'm paraphrasing because I couldn't find it um, to state like verbatim what it said. But pretty much it was like, you know, the worst thing that you can tell somebody while they're suffering is that God planned for this to happen to them. Right. And we all know that, you know, God's ways are higher than our ways. We don't always understand why things happen. But again, in a situation like this, do you really want to hear that God planned this for you? It's like, okay, but that's not helping (laughs) the situation right now or not necessarily what that person needs to hear in that moment. Okay. So those who wish to comfort people in sorrow should consider silence before speech, empathy before explanations and patience with pain. All right. The second thing you can do to support someone who is suffering is understand that you're not required to have all the answers to their problems. Right. So the main question that Job had throughout the story was why? Why was he suffering so much? Right. And his friends tried to explain um, his suffering rather than to help him endure the suffering. So they heard Job's questions as arrogant claims of not deserving such suffering rather than expressions of deep grief and lack of understanding. So this goes back to the point about having patience with people's pain. So again, Job lost his children. He lost his wealth and his health was attacked. So he's like, you know, mourning, crying, just asking like, why am I going through so much? God, I've been a faithful servant. I've been a righteous man. You've seen my heart. You've seen what I've done. Like he's just really confused about why all of this is happening to him. And I like how it said here, he's pretty much like in deep grief and just expressing like, I just don't understand why I'm going through all of this. I want to know why. But his friends saw his questions as an arrogant claim and that he didn't deserve this because they felt to be sure this is happening for a reason, to be sure there's some secret sin or something that you did to deserve this. So they met him with condemnation instead of comforting him and having compassion for his questions, right? Their answers only made Job's pain deeper because it's like they're pretty much kicking him while he's down and attacking him um, for for wanting to know why, right? Attacking him in his pain and just trying to figure out what's going on and why. So um, Eliphaz, okay, so three of the friends, this is a breakdown of how each of their arguments were with Job. So Eliphaz appealed to his personal experience. So all of his advice was from his personal experience, what what he's went through and, and what he knows, right? So compared to God, your personal experience is very minute (laughs) or very small to what God knows, right? Or even to be able to speak to somebody's situation because all of us don't have the same experiences, right? So yes, you may have been through something similar, but your experience isn't like mine and my experience isn't like yours. Um, I know that there are situations where like siblings can grow up in the same exact house and both have completely different experiences. So we can't rely on our experience when we're giving advice to other people, all right? 
The second friend, Billy, had pointed to universal wisdom. So he pretty much looked at the principles or the laws of the earth, like uh, what you give is what you get, right? So again, going back saying, Job, you must have done something for this to happen to you because that's the law of the world. But from what we've learned and what we know, that wasn't the case here for Job. And then Zophar declared that he what he felt was common sense. So he just felt like the wisdom that he had was basic knowledge and basic common sense. Like, again, kind of like Billy had, if you do something wrong, that something bad is going to happen to you or suffering is going to happen to you. So this was all like immature or just incomplete um, advice or suggestions to Job about why he was going through what he was going through. They all agreed that Job's problems were his own fault and that questioning God simply made matters worse. Okay. Um, Friendship and grief requires patience. Friends in need don't have to have all the questions, excuse me. Friends in need don't have to have all their questions answered as much as they need to have someone simply listen. This is something like I shared at the beginning that I am working on. As much as I want somebody to listen to me and what I have to say, I will say that I struggle as a listener, right? Especially if somebody is suffering, wanting to say the right thing, wanting to give a witty quote or or something to uplift them, but that's not always necessary. Sometimes they just need to vent. They just need a safe space to pour out and to express what's on their heart, what's on their mind, and for you to just listen and receive, right? Um, Make it a point to be with those in pain, but let their physical, excuse me, but let your physical presence be your strongest statement of support. Pray for patience. When in doubt about a question, just wait. Sit quietly and be the best friend that you can during difficult times. All right. The third thing that you can do to support someone who is suffering is to understand that genuine friendship includes attentive, compassionate presence in times of sorrow and loss. And we're going to break that down. What is a genuine friendship? So the definition of genuine is truly what something is said to be authentic. So if you have not had this experience or lived for any time, there are certain things that you go through in life that will show you who your real friends are and grief, loss, sorrow. That's one of those things, right? Sorrow and loss reveals who your genuine friends are. Pay attention to how your friends respond when you're going through something. Also ask yourself, how do you respond to your friends when they're going through something? Um, I saw a meme um, that speaks to this and it was like, if you don't hear from me for a while, don't assume that I'm acting funny to you. I could be going through something myself and that cannot be more true. Oh my gosh. I have experienced that um, as the friend thinking somebody was acting funny, but come to find out they were going through. And I've been the friend who was going through and someone assumed that I was acting funny to them. So this is that passive aggressive um, lack of communication, lack of reaching out. Like we can't always assume that somebody's acting funny. People are really out here going through stuff, (laughs) right? And how you respond to that shows the genuineness or the authenticity of your friendship. 
All right. The second part. Okay. It says genuine friendships include attentive, compassionate presence. So what does it mean to be attentive as a friend? That means you're paying close attention to something. You're alert, aware, or on on one's guard. So you notice if you haven't heard from that friend in a while, if y'all usually talk every, you know, couple of days or something, and you notice that you haven't heard from them, you're attentive and you notice that. You notice their appearance or how they sound on the phone. You notice their tone and how they're talking. You should be able to tell when something is wrong when you're an attentive friend, right? You can pick up on those things. And then also it says to be compassionate. What does that mean? Feeling or showing sympathy and concern for others, being gentle, being kind, being soft-hearted. So don't be impatient, harsh, or frustrated with them in their moments of pain. This was something that I have to work on because I expect people to get over things fast. Um, I especially see this in my children when they're upset about something. I expect them to just move on and get over it. So God brought back to my revelation that this was something I was taught to do in my family as a child. Um, I can remember being sad or disappointed about things. And my mom would just shoot the comment, you'll get over it. You'll get over it. Y'all, till this day, I still remember the dismissive feeling that I felt as a child when she would say that comment. And it's like, okay, eventually I might get over it. But right now I'm hurt. Right now I'm sad. Right now I'm in pain about this, right? So I have to work on having patience with a friend in pain or grief or loss. Um, and I did a podcast a few weeks ago about, you know, and I mentioned grief and talking about how it's a cycle of events and there's no timeline for grief. So being able to give that friend or that person grace to feel that pain for how long they need to and not try to force them or rush them out of their pain, right? Um, the best example or the best visual for being there for somebody who is suffering I don't know if you all have seen it. Um, if you haven't, this will be a spoiler alert. But um, the best man final chapters. So I know that there's like the original best man, then the best man holiday. But this most recent best man was like a series um, that they released on Peacock. And in this, a lot of the characters are going through. But there was a particular scene where Harper, um, played by Tay Diggs, he had just lost his family. So him and the character that Sanaya Lathan plays had just finalized their divorce. Um, she you know, was feeling stuck in New York where they were living and felt like she wanted to move to Africa to expand her career. I believe she was a, a chef. She wanted to expand her career and she wanted, she wanted everyone to move there, right? But Harper was kind of reluctant about it, always making an excuse like, that's not what I'm trying to do. So eventually they decided to part and go their separate ways. So in this scene, Sanai Lathan, you know, moves to Africa with their daughter and Tay Diggs is just at the house alone, sad by himself, just sitting in silence. So all of his friends end up showing up at his house um, the day that his ex-wife and daughter left and they had food with them. They brought cards because they're really known for playing um, poker. That's like their round table moment where they get to just talk and vent and, and share with each other. But in this particular case, nobody said anything. They all walked in silently. 
set up the card table, got chairs, set the food out. And they just sat down at the table together. Nobody said anything, right? Um, And in this particular scene, they were all going through some type of suffering, but they still decided to come together for for Harper, for Tay Diggs, the guy who played that character. And some things that they shared, some things they shared with each other and some things they didn't. Um, But you could tell that they just all needed that moment to just be a brotherhood and be there for each other, right? So to me, this was a great visual and the power of simply showing up and being there for a friend. And you don't always have to have the answer and you don't always have to say the right thing. Sometimes just simply being there for them is enough. It is enough. All right. So um, quick recap, three ways that you can support someone is understand that sometimes there's nothing to say. You're not required to have all of the answers. And genuine friendship includes attentive, compassionate presence in the times of sorrow and loss. So a quick reflection question for today. Um, How have you shown your support for a friend who was suffering in the past? Okay. And what ways can you show up better for a friend the next time that they are going through some type of pain, loss, or suffering? And also, how do your friends and family show up for you in your time of suffering, that's something to take inventory of. No more of we us only being the strong friend. It needs to be reciprocated. And also as the strong friend, that doesn't always mean having the answer or having the right thing to say. Sometimes just simply being there and being that safe space for your friend is enough. Okay. So that's all I have for you all today. If you are not, please follow me on both Instagram and Facebook. Um, join our Mom Keys to Mental Peace email list and community. Um, subscribe to the podcast or any platform that you listen to it on, as well as the YouTube channel for the uploaded videos. And be sure to rate the show if you listen to it on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to share a review. Just type, you know, how the podcast has helped you, how it has blessed you. Um, this helps to get the podcast out and you know, in the view of other people who may need this, be sure to share this episode out, share the podcast out um, with anyone who you feel it could benefit. All right. So I will see you all next week for part three of the Joe Bible study. And I pray that you all take care. Talk to you soon. Bye.